1: It's not really the nation of domination. Sorry, Rocky and Farouk fans. But today's all about the SB Nation. More on that in a second. What's going down, everybody? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Friday, the last day of August 2018. I am your host, Patrick Moran. On today's episode... Today's episode is all about the SB Nation, and more specifically, the two Buffalo representatives of the SB Nation umbrella. I'll be joined by both Matt Warren, Managing Editor of Buffalo Rumblings, and then after that, I'll talk with Chad D. Diminisus, Managing Editor of Die by the Blade. So yeah, Buffalo sports fans, we got a two-for-one episode coming right down the chute. Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres talk today. Matt and I are going to recap the Buffalo Bills preseason finale against Chicago. And we're going to discuss several of the roster spot battles and how we think things are going to play out now that the preseason's over. And then I'm going to ask Matt to look into his crystal ball and give us his outlook for how he thinks the Bills are going to fare this year. So we'll talk about all that. And we're also going to talk about Buffalo rumblings and all the stuff that Matt and his staff does with that blog, which by the way, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, it's must read. It is an incredible blog just filled with Buffalo Bills news, information, insight, stories, analysis, great, great site. After that, it's getting really close to hockey season. And I wanted to get those juices flowing a little bit. So I talked to Chad from SB Nation's Die by the Blade and we discuss the team's popular Sabres blog he's now running, and then I get his take on all the major moves the Sabres have made this offseason. We go over what the addition of Rasmus Dahlin means to the team. Chad tells me what he's most looking forward to at training camp, and I ask him point blank to sell me and all of us and all of you listening on why it's time to start getting excited about Buffalo Sabres hockey again. Good stuff there. So I'll tell you what, I'm not going to waste any time today. This is a packed episode, the all Buffalo SB Nation episode. Here's some Bill's talk with Buffalo Rumblings' Matt Warren, and then Sabers talk with Chad D. Domenicis from Die by the Blade. Let's do this. My guest is the managing editor of Buffalo Rumblings' The SB Nation Buffalo Bills blog that through the years has become a must read for any internet browsing Bills fan. I'm talking about my man, Matt Warren. You know, what's going on, Matt? And thanks for joining me to tape on a late Thursday, immediately following Bills preseason finale. That, like, come on, man, that was hideous for three quarters. And then it became one of the more dramatic fourth quarters that I can remember seeing preseason or not. What's up, man? Was that crazy or what? Yeah. No, you're
2: not crazy, but I mean, We we stayed up and watched the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game
1: and it it actually paid off. Yeah. I can't dude, twenty-five unanswered points. I mean, the put it this way, and I'm sure you know this, there's a lot of Bills and Chicago Bears beat writers out there right now that are really pissed off because they literally are scrambling to rewrite stories and I'm sure they probably had ninety percent or more of it done by the end of the third quarter. It's like when you go to a football game or a hockey game, if you're covering a team and it looks like a big blowout, you're writing that story early, fill in the quotes afterwards and call it a day. You know what I mean? A lot of scrambling writers out there probably right now, minutes after this game.
2: Yeah. It's a two minute warning. I already had my, uh, my column was already written and uh, I had to rewrite it. So, I mean, we, (laughs) I mean, I was able to do it over the course of the last few minutes and, you know, they, they were able to score with what it was like 13 seconds left on the clock or whatever it was. But, uh, like (laughs) I had to rewrite mine. So everyone else is too.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, you keep me in line during this interview because I have a bad habit of having knee jerk reactions. I get way too high or way too low where I know you well enough to know that you're a little more even keel. So keep me in check here because at the end of the day, like you said, it's the fourth preseason game, but you got to admit this, man that was a gutty performance. You know, even if they had lost, it's a gutty performance. I love how this team and what is is a meaningless preseason finale. They didn't run for the bus. They got down what 20 nothing or something. They could easily just ran for the bus, but they didn't. They really stood there and, and they fought and they played to win that game, which a lot of coaches don't do in the preseason like that. You know, it would have been really easy to just fold it and say, you know what, we're ready for the regular season. Let's go. You know what I mean?
2: For the coaches, yes, I definitely agree with you. For the for those players that were out there, whether it's AJ McCarron on down, they're they're playing for roster spots or practice squad spots or you know their next job. And so it didn't necessarily surprise me that guys like Brandon Riley and uh, Logan Thomas are going all out on that final drive. But all I, I mean, I know I was doing it on Twitter. I'm like Sean McDermott, stop calling timeouts. Like I just I I wanted the game to Ed, but then it
1: just it kept rolling. <laughs> now let's talk. I'll tell you what. Let's start by talking. Pre-game, okay? Because I think we all knew A.J. McCarron was going to start this game and quite possibly play the whole game coming in, but Sean McDermott never announced anything, and we didn't find out literally until the TV broadcast came on right at 8 p.m. that A.J. McCarron was starting. What are your thoughts on on that process that McDermott waits until literally though, actually he didn't wait. He didn't ever announce the starting quarterback. We found out via TV when the game started, do you think that had something to do with maybe he didn't know if AJ McCarron was going to be healthy enough or is that just what he does?
2: I think it's more of what he does. And um, when the media got the list of the, the lineup changes before the game, the bills and Sean McDermott didn't list anybody on there is not playing. though so clearly like 25 or 30 guys didn't play. So I just think McDermott likes to do that. Uh, he likes to play stuff close to the vest. And um, I don't think it bodes well for us knowing who the Bill's starting quarterback is going to be anytime soon. But but going back to your question, AJ McCarron, he said he was helping, sorry, Sean McDermott said AJ McCarron was healthy at his press conference on Monday. So, I mean, it's not like McDermott lies a whole lot. He might keep a lot of information away from people, but he doesn't tell bulls lies all the time. So uh, it didn't really surprise me that we didn't know until eight
1: o'clock. You know, and I, I get it. Fans in the media get frustrated when McDermott does that, but this whole notion that the reason why the bills are doing it is to have some kind of competitive advantage. To me, that's just ridiculous. And I don't buy it. I mean, I think that would be more true if one of the guys in the mix was someone like a Tyrod Taylor, you know, who can beat you with his legs just as easy as his arm. And it doesn't seem, like you know, all the bills quarterbacks to some extent, when it comes to their style of quarterback and seem to be a little bit interchangeable. So do you think that that McDermott thinks that it has any kind of competitive advantage by not naming a quarterback until like literally is the last minute? The way you, the way
2: you asked that question, I want to say, yes, like I do think that Sean McDermott really truly believes that even if nobody else in the world does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll buy that. Do you think, do you think McDermott? And I think I know this answer. I I think you said already that you don't think so, but you don't think McDermott's a hundred percent set. On his starter for this season, which I assume to be Nate Peterman, and I'm sure at least most people would agree. Now, do you you don't agree with that? Do You think McDermott's locked in was guy agree yet? With that. You do agree with that? Do you think it's well, Peterman? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. He um, it, it's funny
2: because some of these other guys that are interviewing McDermott more frequently than than say some of us who are you know the bloggers on the on the internet. It's like yeah, he just smiles when he talks about Nathan Peterman, like or, or when he when he talks about what Peterman's been doing. And, and I just, I think that they really like him. He's been efficient. Allen wasn't as efficient when he had the chance. And I just think it's really easy for them to protect Josh Allen right now and, and to sort of remain Peterman to the early season roles.
1: Before we talk about this game, when it comes to Peterman, based on what you've seen over the summer and the preseason, what's your comfort level with him going into the season as the starter? Which again, we're both presuming that to be true. We don't know that for fact yet. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we would both agree that he has earned, of the three quarterbacks, he's earned the right to start right now. But what's your comfort level with him going into the season as a starter?
2: It's, it's not very high, to be perfectly honest with you. And it has nothing to do with what happened last year. Uh, it has way more to do with what he did in his only start of the preseason. And that was the first game. Uh, he threw a whole lot of quick reads and, uh, you know, the first read uh, passes. And so I just... I know that defenses are going to be able to adjust to that pretty easily. Uh, obviously he'll have LaShawn McCoy and, and, and some of those other guys back, but I just think that the defenses are going to start pressing the receivers a little bit more and we'll be able to to have that high completion percentage and, and decisiveness when you know there's a guy up in the, the wide receiver spaces like they weren't in that first preseason game. So I just think it has more to do with the fact that now defenses will be able to game plan it versus what
1: they were doing in the preseason. So I I honestly don't think that Nathan Peterman experience is going to last very long. That's a good point. And I'll tell you what, that leads into my next question. Before we talk about McCarron, based on what you saw from Josh Allen during camp in the preseason, assuming again, he's not the starter in week one, at what point do you realistically expect him to take over this year as a starter, if at all?
2: He's going to. It's just a matter of, of when and to your point. And I, I think that, I don't know, sometime at the end of October, beginning of November is probably the right the right time frame. Um, I think Sean McDermott deliberately gave Josh Allen the third preseason start. And as we talked about before, it's the only time he announced at the beginning of the week that a guy was going to be starting. I think he wanted to give Allen that kind of week to prep as a starter so that the first time he did that during the regular season wouldn't be his first time ever doing that which leads me to think that it's not going to be the bye week because if it was the bye week, he wouldn't have to do that in the preseason. So, um, I think he's going to give him a week lead time, not the two week lead time of the bye week, and, and, and put him in at some point in October or, or early November. I think that's the right time frame.
1: All right. Now let's touch on AJ McCarron. Some people think that tonight, may have been an audition for possibly drumming up trade interests, especially after the Jets ended up fetching a third rounder for Teddy Bridgewater. If so, going five for 18 for 39 yards and two interceptions through three quarters, you know, and one of them was just an absolutely horrible telegraph pick six. It probably didn't do too much for his value, but in fairness to him, I mean, he did come back in the fourth quarter and he looked pretty sensational in the fourth quarter. How are you feeling about AJ McCarron right now? I think you have to
2: like what you saw in the fourth quarter and not just like the determination and the grit and all these things that can't really be quantified, but you know, that he made good decisions in, in the fourth quarter too. He went for deep balls. He, he pushed the ball down the field past the sticks on third and fourth down. He, he made better choices. He made better throws. He made better reads. Like everything was just so much better. And I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to get a third round pick like uh, Bridgewater did, but I mean, you can, you can start to see like you know that kind of Matt castle type of trade where you're getting maybe like a fifth or sixth round value somewhere in there. So I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But I mean, if if a team wanted to pull the trigger on a veteran quarterback, they certainly could. And and there are teams out there that that do need a steady hand, and and he'll provide that. I, I was glad because I wasn't sure his body language wasn't that great <laughs> in the first half and to see him kind of turn it around really answered the biggest question I had about him is that if even if he does stay now on the 53 man roster, like maybe he won't be kind of this Mopey guy that got passed over for Nathan Peterman. He might be a guy that, that might find a role on this team, but we'll, we'll have to see. I, I I mean, I obviously are I'm not sitting in the meetings and all that stuff behind the scenes with, with those three guys.
1: Well, I'm going to make a confession here, Matt. I'll tell you right now, I was taking notes throughout the game. And after three quarters, I could have easily just made these notes go away. But I'm going to confess my stupidity because this is what I wrote after three quarters. I had this note prepared. I wrote this. I said, I think Bean is going to desperately try and flip McCarron in a trade somewhere between now and 4 p.m. Saturday. And if they can't, I think he's going to get cut. I don't think he'll be in Buffalo next week. I don't think they're going to keep three quarterbacks. I could be wrong, but that's my thought as of right now. That was my note after three quarters tonight. Well, three TD passes in the fourth quarter and the excitement that the team seemed to have for him on the sidelines later. I kind of reserved the right to change my mind on that.
2: Well, yeah, and he didn't even include his touchdown run. I mean, the guy showed off the wheels.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. I didn't know he could run it at all. Yo, I'll tell you what, he looked like a statue. I oh, don't no, don't get me wrong. The offensive line was horrible <laughs> in Cleveland, but didn't he look like a statue in Cleveland just getting drilled back there?
2: Yeah, but then you watch the next game and watch Josh Allen pretty much have the same
0: problem.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. So you do think if they can't trade A.J. McCarron, you think this team is definitely going to keep all three quarterbacks going into the season?
2: I I mean, that's the the thing. I was with you at the end of the third quarter. I thought he was a goner for sure. And I, I wrote the article at Buffalo Rumblings about are they going to be able to get, even if they can't trade him, they're just going to cut him and that was you know a couple days ago and and now you see this performance and maybe like I said the body language is, is the thing that was the most concerning for me is he gonna just kind of soak around like I came in here to compete for the starting job and now I'm the third third quarterback with no shot and I, I didn't want that to happen I didn't want that to be on the team and I d- wouldn't think that Sean McDermott would want that on the team either so if his head's in the right slot there's no reason they shouldn't keep him but if it's, you know, if it's going to become this kind of negative Melly situation, then I, I wouldn't want him around either. And, and it's tough to tell now after that exhilarating
1: comeback, kind of how that's all going to shake out. I'll tell you what, we could probably spend on like talking about the quarterbacks, but I do want to hit on a couple other things that I wrote notes on before this game. I was ready to confidently predict that Adolphus Washington was going to be one of these named veteran cuts when they start coming down over the next 24 hours or so. But if this last preseason game really means anything to these coaches, then I think he played his way on the roster. I thought he was excellent in the first half. Had a few big stops in the backfield. You think, based on what he did tonight, that his spot on this roster is going to be pretty secure?
2: Yeah, he's he's always had that ability to flash just enough to to always kind of stick around and things like that. I I thought his roster spot was safe when Tyler Williams got hurt. You know, I that's what I wrote in my last roster prediction a week ago with that. You know, Todd Williams going down means Adolphus Washington is going to be on the team to start the year. And what happens after that is completely up to Washington. But you're right. He played, he played well tonight. Uh, I don't think anybody else is, is is going to challenge him. That might be because of what everybody else did. But maybe he like I said, he also flashed pretty well tonight.
1: Talking to Matt Warren from Buffalo Rumleys. You know, it's just the preseasons. And again, I told you this, I'm an overreactor. Maybe we shouldn't look too much into it, but Not just tonight, but throughout all four of these games, there seem to be an awful lot of missed tackles by the Bills' defense. Does that worry you going into the season? Because, I mean, this is a Sean McDermott coached team. You would expect better tackling. There's been a lot of sloppy tackling going in over the preseason. Although, to be fair, again, many of these guys who are guilty of missing these tackles probably won't be on this team in 48 hours, or maybe even by the time people are listening to this podcast. Well, that's true. And,
2: I mean, we saw the same thing kind of with penalties, too, is that. Yeah, you know, they had penalty problems this preseason, but a lot of those guys aren't going to be on the roster. I, it's one of those things where they were taking some bad angles, and and that was part of it too. And and you're going to get that with some of the young defenders that they have in the linebacker core. It it is something that is scaring me a little bit because I, not in this game obviously because he didn't play, but in the third preseason game you saw Jordan Poyer, I think try a little bit too hard um, to kind of help out those linebackers and crash a little bit too hard on on some of the the play action stuff. So I think it's going to start becoming an issue, even if we we don't necessarily see guys missing assignments right now, because it's going to start to affect kind of the trust that they all have with each other. And you are seeing that a little bit with um, with Vontae Davis. Uh, You're seeing a little bit with, you know, Tremaine Edmonds still in the position and even Matt Milano. So it's just,
1: I, I don't think the defense is going to be as solid on the whole as, as we necessarily were thinking going into the uh, the offseason. Well, you mentioned Jordan Poyer trying to do a little bit too much last week, trying to help the linebackers. One guy I kind of liked going into this, who I thought was terrible tonight, was Deion Lacey. I mean, I thought he was really bad, and I would say he's in big trouble, but the reality is the Bills have, like, no linebacker depth. I have a hard time thinking that there's six NFL caliber linebackers that are on this roster right now, let alone seven, which is they're probably what they're looking to keep. Do you think this is a position that we're definitely going to be seeing some new faces by early next week? Do you see six or even seven linebackers on this roster right now that are going to be on the 53? Well, yeah, there's going to be six or seven, I would think, but that are on this the, roster the majority right now. of those. Well, yeah, but the
2: majority of those guys' snaps on the actual 53-man roster are all going to come on special teams, and that's kind of where it all boils down is, is ideally you're not going to see guys like Deion Lacey taking any defensive snaps anyway. So if I mean, if that's the case, I mean, I, and I know they were counting on a guy like Keenan Robinson before he retired, but you know, they your sixth and seventh linebackers aren't supposed to see time on the defense. And so if, if, if they go in with that kind of mentality that those guys are special teamers, it might not be as bad as you're as kind of making it out to be.
1: <laughs> All right. On the injury front, there was one, I don't know if it's significant injury or not, but there was one injury of no Ray, Ray McLeod left with a knee injury. Obviously I hope it's not serious because I think he was in line to make this team. Let's just for the sake of discussion and being optimistic right here, let's just say that it turns out to be a minor injury. Do you think that he ends up making this team? I I, I do. He, um. well, let me rephrase that. I He's got
2: one of those, last kind of 53 million chances and he did well on a punt return tonight um it, if he's been doing the things on on special teams for danny crossman that that they want i think he he is but uh, he's he's definitely one of those bubble players and it, it's going to come down to like you know whether it's him brandon riley whoever those last wide receivers that they keep it, it it's going to come down to whether they can contribute on special teams or not and now, I think he has shown that ability to do that, but at the same time, if they keep like Marcus Murphy, which they're going to they arrested him tonight, but sure. if he's the guy that's going to be returning punts, they don't need Ray Ray McLeod to return punts. So it, he's definitely in the mix for that, that final spot. And it's going to depend on if they want to keep, I think it's going to depend on whether they
1: want to keep the extra tight end or not um, with the wide receiver core. One person who I think has played himself out of a job is Corey Coleman. He did nothing tonight. He's pretty much done nothing this preseason. Yeah, he's a former first rounder and the Bills traded for him, but they essentially gave up nothing for the guy to roll the dice on. Do You think he survives cut down day? I do think he survives it just based on
2: potential. Um, yeah, you're right that the comp- compensation that they traded for him wasn't that big of a deal, but I think they have plans for him and No, he's only been in the building for a month, and so he's still learning the whole thing and getting on the same page with the quarterbacks, and I just think his potential is good. That doesn't mean he's going to be active on Sundays. I mean, they could certainly, like, give him a redshirt year, even, like they did with Connor McDermott on the offensive line last year where he didn't really see the field, and, you know, they could just keep him and and stash him and and just not play him on Sundays, and and fill their special team slots with other dudes that, that can do that and just hope that you know, he and Josh Allen can get on the same page
1: next year and just start on bombs. One position that I didn't expect to be intrigued by, but turns out during the preseason, I became very intrigued by is the tight end position. Tonight, I thought Logan Thomas had a really strong game. Although if I'm a Thomas fan, I'm also a little bit worried that he was playing deep into the fourth quarter. Do you think he's making his team? I mean, it's almost certainly coming down to him, Nick O'Leary and Kyrie Lee for either one or two spots. It's pretty obvious that uh, Clay, obviously, and Kroom looks like a lock to make this team. Who do you think tight end is going to make this team? Do you think Thomas, O'Leary, Lee, two of those three, one of those three? What are you thinking right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, first, major props to Jason Kroom, Way to go from the practice squad to a, a roster lock. And and yeah, we, we thought that the tight end position was going to be one of the most boilerplate positions going into into training camp. You had your starter. You had your your athletic guy, you had your, um, you know, developmental prospect. Like, I mean, they, they had these guys filling these roles and then, I mean, all of them kind of exploded. They really all had great games and, and good practices during training camp. So realistically, if I, I, they'd probably want to keep all five, but they're not going to be able to. And I think what you said before, Logan Thomas playing, I mean, all the way to the end of the game, he was in at least on the second to last drive. I don't know if he was in on the last drive as they were, Doing the two minutes or with more wide receivers probably, but you know he was in the game deep and Nick O'Leary was in the game early, uh, so it, it it probably leads you to believe that O'Leary's in over Thomas. But I think it comes down to those two. I think Harry Lee's had a, a really solid year and or um, really solid July and August, and, and it was kind of that third tight end. So which one's the fourth? And I got to give it a nudge to O'Leary just based on what they did in the fourth preseason game.
1: Off the top of your head without a lot of time to think about it. Cause obviously, like I said, we're literally taping this 10 minutes after the game's over. Who do you think tonight helped themselves the most? And who do you think tonight hurt themselves the most in terms of either making the team or if not making the team, maybe they're standing on the roster.
2: Well, I think helped himself the most is probably AJ McCarron. though. <laughs> him playing well could also play himself off the roster in a trade. So that's weird. But I think just everything that he did at the end of the game proved that, you know, he hadn't given up on the season, hadn't given up on himself and, and just kind of, you know, kinda turned everything around. Um, the player that did the least for himself, I, I don't know, maybe, I mean, Malachi, Malachi Dupree or, or Robert Foster, like the, some of those guys, it was funny watching Brandon Bean talk about Robert Foster making a play while Robert Foster was like tracking the ball in the air during the, during the fourth quarter. But like, I mean even those both of those guys had, had catches coming down the stretch. So I don't really know of a whole lot of people that just didn't do do okay today. It's probably one of the offensive linemen that, you know, I haven't you know figured out how some of those defensive linemen from the Bears got pressure against A. J. McCarron down the stretch. But you know, he was under duress of the day, so it's probably like those third, fourth team offensive lineman guys that played the worst.
1: Give me one or two guys that you think over the next couple hours or days, again, this is, you know, we're taping Thursday. This is coming out Friday morning. Who knows? There might be cuts coming out by Friday morning by the time people listen to this. Give me one or two guys. I don't think it's going to be necessarily a big, quote unquote, big name cut. But give me a couple guys that people, most people expected to make this roster at the beginning of the summer that you think may be on their way out by Saturday at 4 p.m. Well, if we're talking
2: about the beginning of the summer, we're we're talking about guys like Austin Troll, who was great in the mini camps in shorts and a helmet early this summer, and just kind of disappeared. And then the pads came on. Robert Foster is another guy that's kind of like that. Um, you know, who's the other one? I was thinking. About? Oh, I can't remember. I think Newhouse could be in um, big trouble. Oh, Levi Wallace is another guy I was thinking about. Is that he was getting talked up a lot earlier and. uh, and just you, know, you see him play, again playing late into the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game. He he just kind of seems like he's trending more toward the practice spot, especially when Breon Borders had an interception. Marshall Newhouse, the guy you just mentioned, is is another great candidate for that. so that, you just you thought he was locked in as the swing tackle, and then he he really did play poorly against the Bengals, uh, subbing in for Deion Dawkins, and uh, didn't play great tonight either um, when he was in the game. So he's he's another guy, but. If, if it's not Newhouse, is it going to be Connor McDermott, who, I mean, also played well after Marshall Newhouse tonight? And so, you know, you kind of see how that all shakes out. It, I think they think Newhouse is better than McDermott. So maybe he just makes it by default. And then next, you know, in two days, he gets cut because they get somebody better on the
1: waiver wire or something like that. I think Cadet might be one more guy who could end up getting cut. I think most people, he came into camp in most people's eyes as the oh, clear, yeah. clear number three. Murphy clearly passed him. And Jones is really mm-hmm. good on special teams. So unless they plan on keeping five tailbacks, uh, Traveris Cadets' time might be coming to an end as well.
2: And the tight end position, but we already covered that.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, second last question here, and then I'm going to get you out of here. I want Matt Warren's preseason MVP and LVP. Let's take all four games rolling into one little mini season here. Who do you think was the MVP of the team and the LVP of the team during this preseason?
2: I think the most valuable player was probably Nate Peterman. Uh, it's why he's my favorite to win the starting job coming out of the gate. Um, if we're just talking about like you know four preseason games or really three preseason games with him, it, he was probably the best along those three. Well, not just among the three quarterbacks, but all, in all three games. As far as least valuable player, it's I mean you can pick almost anybody on the offensive line. And, and part of that's just that they were rotating guys so much, but, you know, Vlad had had poor play and, and Russell Bodine and, and Ryan grew. I mean, really all of them have had John Miller all had bad times. Uh, Jordan Mills, uh, even Dion Dawkins got pushed around by miles Garrett, but a lot of people are going to get pushed around by miles Garrett. So, I mean, you, you take your pick of anybody on the starting offensive line, the second team, offensive line, third team, offensive line. They just have been, Not
1: good this preseason. All right, I lied. This is actually the second last question because you (laughs) brought up something that got me thinking right here. That offensive line was so bad against Cincinnati. And the game, by the way, where Cincinnati wasn't doing stunts and blitzes. They were just man-on-man beating the shit out of our line. Based on that and based on the fact that there's not really any proven death behind these starters on this team, except Newhouse, who we both said might not even be on this team in 24 to 48 hours. Do you think that's one position... Where Brandon Bean is going to very, very, very actively be looking at that waiver wire or possibly even pulling a trade to get one, maybe even two brand new starters on this roster before week one because those guards, man, they were just bad. I, I don't know if we're gonna be trading
2: for guys that are starters, uh, but you'll be trading you might be trading for a guy that's like, you know, John Miller last year. He was a starter before and kind of fell out of favor and maybe in a few weeks he can come in and kind of replace somebody down the line. I'm, I'm, I, Miller was replaced last year um, by uh, Vlad Ducasse, but maybe you're talking about the guys that are as talented as those two. So I don't know if I'm. We want to be counting on them as being saviors or things like that. But you know, there, there's guys that can come in and, and be better than than the depth options for sure. Better than Newhouse or um, you know whoever they're gonna you know put it. They're gonna keep Wyatt Teller at at guard because they drafted him and. Yeah. Uh, this year. So it's just, it, there's really only one spot that they get to play around with. And it, so it's going to be an interesting conversation with who they're going to get rid of. And I think Bodine there, has played well enough to be at least the backup center. And so, kind of, where is it all going to fit? And kind of the numbers game was shaken out with you know, some of those special teams, contributors at wide receiver and cornerback and linebacker that we were
1: already talking about. Last question, okay? Then I'm going to let you go. Based on what you've seen. And maybe looks can be deceiving. So I'll ask you this based on your gut feeling more than anything. How do you feel about this season and how it's going to play out for the Bills? I mean, personally, me, I got a feeling that we're going to get the 2018 that most of us expected to have in 2017. But that's just me. What's your gut say? I'm putting you on the spot here. Last question. Give me a record prediction for this season.
2: Last year I said six and ten, they went nine and seven, made the playoffs. This year I'm going to say six and ten again. I just, I don't see where their offense is going to come from. You know, and McCoy is great, but he can't be the only thing. And if they're jamming the receivers, and it's Nathan Peterman, and it just, it, I just don't see how it's all going to work or enough. You know, they don't have a guy that can improvise like barely Tyrod Taylor was able to and keep defenses honest. So it just I just don't see how it happens. Um, The defense is going to have to come back to earth a little bit, regress to the mean and and not get as many takeaways at key times as they they did last year. I just, I don't see where they're getting their wins from to get back to that, you know, 500 marks. So I'll go six and 10.
1: All right. And you know what? I really liked your Nate Peterman uh, take about teams being able to adjust him pretty easy. I fear that you're going to be right about that. And hopefully at that point we can see Josh Allen. Anyway, good stuff, dude. Matt Warren from Buffalo Rumblings. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Rich Warren. Matt, dude, thanks for doing this. Thanks for staying up late on a Thursday night and talking a little bit of Buffalo Bills football with me. I had an SB Nation daily double in this house for this episode. Awesome. We love SB Nation. We love Die by the Blade. And uh, don't don't forget
2: about UB Bull Run. They, they covered the UB Bulls. True. And they do good work over there, too. And they're going to
1: be good this year. They are. All right, my guest is the managing editor of Die by the Blade, SB Nation's blog, totally devoted to the Buffalo Sabres. He's Buffalo born and raised and does a great job running that blog. One of the biggest and best sources for Sabres coverage anywhere. I'm talking about Chad the DeDiminis. Did I say that right, Chad? (laughs) Thanks for popping on. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. That's good. <laughs> All right. Listen, man, I, obviously I got you on here to talk some Sabres and we'll get to some Sabres talk in a minute. You know, as training camp creeps closer, but before that you're like I said, at the top here, you're Buffalo born and raised. Tell our listeners. And I'm sure some of your readers out there who will be listening to this a little bit about yourself.
0: Uh, yeah, like I said, Buffalo born and raised. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm ingrained with Buffalo, especially in the sports field, and I'm a Bills fan, um, and I've been a Sabres, I'm a Sabres fan my whole life. And, and just the not the Sabres, though, it's, it's hockey in general. You know, I started playing when I was four years old. Um, I'm 30 years old now. So I guess as I've gotten older, I've gotten more into it. You know, I've done scouting internships. I've got more into studying, not just the Sabres, but other teams, and then into writing, and then into podcasting. And then more recently over the last few years, you know, I've gotten into – the prospect side of it. Um, not just junior hockey, but Europe too, minor leagues. Um, so I guess you can kind of say I'm a, a hockey junkie. Um, but in general, you know, it's sports, you know, it's football, hockey, baseball, and, um, you know, I guess basketball here and there when I feel like it, but, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all about Buffalo. And that's kind of the nice thing, you know, being around here, you can kind of, I kind of know the people, I, I kind of know the history and, uh, you know, it's easy to interact and kind of understand the feelings that come from readers that come from fans and to interact with them. So that's, that's kind of nice.
1: Sure. Now, what part of Buffalo did you grow up in? Where in Western New York are you from? Where did you go to school?
0: Uh, so I went to, so I grew up in Riverside and I was younger. Uh, I went to elementary school at a little school called All Saints, which is no longer there. And then I moved out to Kenmore Tanawanda area but I went to Kenmore Middle for eighth grade and then I went to Kenmore West for high school and then Buff State for college. So I currently live in Tanawanda right now. Uh, but I've split between, you know, Riverside and Tanawanda mostly.
1: And what would you consider like your favorite and least favorite things about being a managing editor of a blog that I'm sure generates plenty of traffic? I mean the S B Nation umbrella.
0: Uh, favorite thing is working with the people that are there. Um, you know, Ryan, Melissa, Eric, um, Max and so on. There's ten of us there now. So if I forgot, don't think I don't care about you. It just that's on top of my head right now. Um, you know, that, that's kind of the favorite part is working together sharing ideas. Um, you know, that whole team element, you know, I love it. You know, we all get along, we all kind of have our plans and kind of what we do, what our initiatives, um, niches are. And, uh, you know, it works pretty well. The, we, uh, I guess I can say my least favorite thing, which um, I did, I think almost every single one last year, uh, is the game previews and the game recaps. They're kind of exhausting to do them three, four times a week, but you know it's what the fans and people, I guess, want, and that's what it comes down to. There's the fun part, and there's the bad part like that. So I think my least favorite would be doing those every single game recaps and previews, especially when the team is bad, because then it's just, right? I don't know, another bad game here we go it is it's exhausting it's
1: I, i've done it too <laughs> you know I, i've done it before too now you guys also do a podcast uh beyond the blade podcast i caught that jeff Skinner trade episode recently that's a well-produced podcast man tell tell me a little bit about that why did you start doing that and what is it about podcasting that you do enjoy doing uh, well
0: first off i appreciate that uh so compliment on that um my friend uh bill and i you know we're kind of the same thing we're two guys we always we always talk about hockey. It's, it's almost daily. Um, we always say we should just turn our text into a podcast. But one day we're like, well, why don't we just do a podcast and see how it goes? Like, yeah, why not? And we did it. And um, it kind of worked out. It's kind of been crazy. You know, we've only been doing it. I think it just, that was, I think we're on year three now. This is our third year doing it. Um, like you said, last year kind of slowed down a little bit. It sucked the life out of us, how bad the team is, but you know, we're a little re-energized this year um, and bringing some new things to it. So it's, it's yeah it's just two guys who like to talk about hockey you know we we try to have some fun doing it you know we try to talk about the team um you know and when we started there was kind of that i guess that opening there really wasn't a sabers podcast there's still there's a few now but there really isn't that many and uh so that was kind of the opening we saw we we're left kind of try to jump into that and see if we can make something out of it and you know so far so good so we're kind of excited to get that going again we're actually um Going to be doing a podcast again here the next day or two. That's a kind of a fun one, so really kind of looking forward
1: to it. Now, I want to talk about one more thing, and then we'll get into actual Sabres talk. Now, the Buffalo media—it's a crazy place to be right now. So much going on with the amongst the mainstream media. You know, guys have left the Buffalo News. Some are going to the Athletic. Some started their own thing. And then you got—you know—of course, you got the radio side, and you got a lot of bloggers out there. Some of them very good with some really good blogs out there, and some not so much. Now, if my memory serves me correct, you've actually covered, you've been accredited, you've covered some Sabre games, home games, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm uh, credentialed. So this is my, uh, last year is my second year, so this has been my third year. Um, I'll be at the Prospects Challenge next week. I'll be at training camp practices when I can make them, whenever my normal job allows me to do that. But yeah, so i the media pass, I'm usually at most home games, when again, whenever my uh, wife and job allows that to occur.
1: How do you feel right now about the relationship between mainstream media and bloggers? Because I mean, it is a different environment and a different atmosphere. And it kind of seems like some of the mainstream guys have really taken the bloggers, have accepted people for what they do, especially the really good ones. You know, like I use an example, a guy like Chris Baker, he started out as a blogger. You know what I mean? His own little niche with Sabres prospects and he kind of became as good as anyone who does it. You know what I mean? And so there's people like that that get a lot of respect. And then there's a lot of good bloggers out there who just don't get the respect, at least from certain people. And we're not going to, at least I'm not going to be the one, you know, I'm not going to name names, but it just seems like certain people in the mainstream media don't want to take anyone who's a blogger seriously at all. When you hear and you see stuff like that, how does that make you feel? Because like I said, you may not be around the team on a day to day basis in the locker room every single day, but you are writing about this team almost every day. And you are at the games, and you are covering some of the games and stuff like that. So how do you how do you feel about the relationship between the mainstream media and bloggers in Buffalo? And I'm pretty sure that you know that it probably could pertain to any major city right now.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's interesting. You know, a lot of the guys, you know, John um Bogle is one of them. Um, Joe is another guy. You know, at games they're they're nice, they're great to me. You know, they don't there's no issues. They look look me at the equal. Um, and they kind of backed it up with kind of how they talk on Twitter and social media too. Um, Tim Graham's another guy that's on social media who's been great with me. Um, I haven't get to see him games because usually he was on the bill side. We'll year that might change. He might be there more covering Sabres and Bills. Um, and then there's some guys at the Buffalo news and, I'm not going to name any names, but I guess it's people you can, can. Kind of figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everyone knows.
1: Everyone knows. All right. Let's just throw you it know, out my- there. There's, there's guys out there that just, for whatever reason, they don't consider bloggers to be on that same level. And maybe, you know, experience and education wise, maybe you're not, but that doesn't matter, man. If you do a good job and the fans appreciate it and you do have at least somewhat access to the team and to the games, kind of feel like you deserve that same respect. You know, the readers are giving you the same respect. It, it feels like the media should as well.
0: Right, and you know, and obviously, I'm talking about Mike, and Mike is a great guy in person. I like Mike. I like Right, and I don't have a problem with him. There's times we don't disagree, and everything on um, on social media, and that's fine. Not supposed to, uh, but I think there's times where he kind of puts a nose up to bloggers, and that's not fair. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I said this before, and you know, I'm not trying to pump my own tires or anything here. Mike and the other writers you know, from a journalistic writing English language standpoint, they can let me a thousand times. Um, but there's also times when it comes to hockey knowledge, um, you know, from me playing for me, doing the scouting internships to following prospects and minor league teams. Um, I feel like in a hockey knowledge, um, I, I, I would want to say it's close. If not, I kind of have them, especially when it's beyond the NHL, you know, and there's, and that's the thing I've kind of tried to bring the dive of the Blade to, and you know, yeah, there's, there's you're covering your sabers, but you, you got to get beyond that too. You know, there, there's there's prospects. I mean, we just found out this is the second website now. The Athletics named the Sabers the best prospect pool in the league, and the Buffalo News barely talks about it. Um, you know, there's there's players who play in Europe, so they want updates. There's players who play in the minors. There's players, you know. So what about Rochester? That barely gets any love. And, you know, there's also the Buttes in this town, too, we are getting a lot of love, and they maybe have one of the stacked teams I've ever seen, like, ever. There's a whole bunch of Olympians on their team. So, you know, we're, we kind of try to diversify ourselves, and that's kind of something where I kind of try to pride myself on, where, yeah, everybody kind of runs on that main story. Well, we have to be different because we're not the news. We're not the athletic. I want to try to run down that story about, I don't know, Victor Olsen and, and dude, how did you learn to shoot that good? What did you do? So, you know, I, I know Darlene's a story, but there's other stories you can chase too, I guess, in the background. And that's, you know, kind of how I want to do it. But, you know, from Buffalo media standpoint, it's kind of crazy between the athletic and the Buffalo news. And, you know, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, in this summer, I, I talked to the news about a potential moving there and it didn't work out, but um, I guess kind of looking at it now, I'm a little bit happy with that. Cause I kind of feel like taking a step back, i I'm, I'm better off, you know, with the out of the blade. feel like there's more freedom there and there's more ability for me to kind of do what I want to do Because so the news is kind of restricted. So they want to keep their focus primarily on the savers, which I think isn't the way to go, but that's how they run their the sports department.
1: Do you think, you know, whether you're a beat reporter or you're, you know, you're just recapping games or writing feature stories, whatever it is, do you think it is that important in today's day and age with technology and all that stuff to have to be in that locker room on a day-to-day basis to effectively cover a hockey team? Now, maybe 10, 20 years ago, for sure. Absolutely. But the way today is now with Twitter and instant news and everything and, you know, press conferences constantly being live streamed on the radio and televised and interviews from the locker room airing, you know, minutes after the game, and whether it's on MSG or again, on the Sabres official site or anything like that, don't you feel like it's not quite as important? You could still do an effective job covering a team without having to be, quote unquote, a beat reporter at every single presser. Do you agree with that or am I wrong? Because if I am, by all means, let me know. No, you're 100% right. Um, you
0: know, I, I'm probably there, honestly, 25 to 30 home games a season. Um, I get a few practice here and there, but, you know, I mean, I, I have a general idea what's going on. You know, it's, and again, like I said, the, the, the diversity thing where, yeah, those guys have room, locker room access, but they're, they're hitting the main stories where you kind of know about where there's nobody really going deep level. Maybe that's what the athletic is going to give you this year, which will be nice. And we're going to try to do too. Um, but no, I mean, even from like an insider perspective, you know I mean? I've made connections with scouts and people that I know. And, you know, there's some, I don't say I broke stories, but there's some things that I've been accurate on that I've reported. Like one thing was Evander Kane. I told people forever that, you know, don't expect the first round pick because that's not what you're going to get. You might get an conditional one. You're going to get a second in the prospect. And, and I was jumping up and down for two and a half months. And that's kind of what they got. And, you know, it worked out. They got a first round pick, but no, I mean, you don't have that whole you have to be in the room thing is crazy. I mean, Bob McKenzie, Darren Dreger, they're not in the room and they break stories all the time. So it's, you know, it's, it, I think that narrative is, is kind of played out. It, again, it's just a way for, you know, a uh, media member to stand up and say, hey, I'm in the room. You're not, you're not talking about kind of thing. And that's the kind of stuff that aggravates me and I think kind of gets offensive because, yeah, you, you have that knowledge, you're in the room, but, if you want to get down to it and talk about hockey knowledge, I think there's a lot of bloggers that can, and I'm not talking about the city. I think all over the country or even the whole league, a lot of bloggers don't get the respect. They probably run circles around some of the guys who are the beat guys for hockey teams. That's just my personal opinion on it.
1: Yeah, no, completely understandable. And, you know, I spent a lot of this podcast talking about sports media. It's something I do regularly and I'm glad to have someone like you on here because typically I, you know, I have mainstream media guests. So it's nice to hear this perspective from what, you know, one of the more respected bloggers in the Buffalo area. So thanks for that part of the talk. Now let's talk a little bit about the Sabres before I get you out of here, okay? So much has went down with this team this summer that it feels like it was like a freaking eternity ago that Buffalo drafted Darlene. You know, we knew there were going to be moves, but man, three major trades, a new goaltender, it's really changed the landscape of this team. Now I don't want to jump all over the place right off the bat here, you know, and cover everything with one question, but are you surprised at all that the makeup of this roster is going to be so significantly different than the same team that, you know, ended the season just a handful of months ago?
0: Uh, yes and no. You know, <laughs> and the reason I say yes, because of press impressive how much he got done in one offseason. And no, because I remember sitting there um, on June 8th or 9th, whenever he had his postseason press conference, standing in that room, that media room, and listening to Bottle will say there's going to be changes. And it could be to the core players. And I don't. Bottle's a pretty calm guy most of the time, um, except when he's slamming doors against the Kings on Kids Day when they're losing like seven to one. <laughs> um, but most of the time, he's a pretty even-keeled guy. And I could just see the anger in his face when he was talking, and you know how he wanted to change things. And I, I think he didn't realize coming in maybe how bad it was. So, and I think that's kind of re- resulted in what we've seen this summer. Uh, he didn't realize there needed to be so many changes, so he went and made them. So That's why I say yes to no, one, because it's impressive, and two, no, because he kind of told a few months ago, but that's what he was going to do, and he followed up on it.
1: All right. Now, on this podcast, like I said, is dominated by Bill's talk and sports media, so I haven't really had a chance to have a Sabres guy on this yet and talk about these trades, so I want to run them down real quick and get your take on each of them, all right? Buffalo, okay. you know it took like, they seemingly took advantage of Pittsburgh's salary cap situation when they traded a conditional fourth next year, you know, it's going to, it could become a third in exchange for Connor Sherry and Matt Hunwick. It was a move that would go on, you know, it saved Pittsburgh five and a half million in cap space. Sherry had 18 goals last year, 23 the year before. Obviously I'm reading off a statue right here, but where do you see him fitting in here? Um,
0: that's tough. He's
1: definitely he going to be at the top six left wing You know,
0: left wing, especially after Evander came off, you know, that, that's, that was a huge need for this team. Um, you know, the cap thing, is if this, that's a great weaponizing or cap space is the new thing in going forward. So that's awesome, but I do realize that. Uh, but in in terms of Shiri, you know, he's it's tough. You know, he, I talked to people in Pittsburgh, and he's kind of a guy where I don't want to say he relied solely on Crosby, um, but it doesn't hurt to play with the best player in the world, um, you know, for a lot of the time. Uh, he kind of got bumped down the lineup last year when Jake Gensel kind of Rose to where he was. But I, I think you're getting a guy who could score your 20 goals, uh, who's going to add speed to your forward groups, which is a huge need. Yes, I, I think he's a 20-goal guy for the next year or two, and then maybe you can kind of see if any prospects can take that spot from him. Uh, but it's definitely an upgrade. You know, it's, it, it's not going to be Benoit Pouliot playing in your second line left wing. You know, it's going to be a, a respectable player who has scored 20 to 25 goals in this league. Um, and can bring some speed and can bring some offense. So, you know I, that was a good start. Uh, I, I kind of thought that might have been the only move on left wing, but I'm assuming here we'll get to the other move they make on left wing. So I don't want to jump ahead.
1: Oh yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. But also, I wanted to ask you about Hunwick. Do you think he's a Rochester guy, or is that like a, a sixth or seventh defenseman on the Sabers? In your opinion,
0: uh, he's a six or seven. Uh, they won't turn him down. They they like his leadership. Uh, Bottle familiar with him from when he was in Pittsburgh. So, he's kind of be, going to be that guy that I guess you could say, kind of the defensive leader in a way. Um, you know, he's going to help out Rissweinen and, and Dawleen and Gooley and, you know, Will Borgen, maybe if he gets here this year, which I don't know, we'll see. Uh, and even Casey Nelson is not that old if he stays up here this year. So, I, I think he's, in a way, I want to say he's going to be the Josh Georges, but I think he's maybe a little better on the ice than Josh Georges was, especially last year. Uh, but he's going to be that kind of new leader, that guy who people will look up to. Um, and I think, you know, part of upon liquid to take salary on. And I think part of it too, was Bottero realizing he needs to get some more leadership in this room. Uh, and I, I, I think he's going to eventually be, I guess the quote unquote old guy, veteran guy that the younger kids look up to. And at least on, on defense?
1: All right. Now let's head on that other big addition. The Sabres gave up a decent prospect and a couple of draft picks for Jeff Skinner from Carolina, he's been a 20 goal score in six of his seven full seasons in the league. He also, which was interesting, he waived a no-trade clause to come to Buffalo. What's your take on that, and where do you see his fit on this team? And do you think that he's a guy that the Sabers have a, a good chance to sign into a long-term deal, or is he a one-and-done guy?
0: Yeah, he's a. I can't believe he made that trade. sell. you know, I and mean, of Poole, Pooh say you will. He's he's a decent prospect who I think long-term is a. Feeling is a is a, is a third-line winger, a third-line center in the NHL with the potential to get to a second line, but I think more along the line of the third-line player. Um, and then a couple draft picks where, I mean, I don't want to say they're nothing, but, you know, I mean, if there's a fifth round and a sixth round in there, and there's a second too, but, you know, it, that's a great trade, and again, you know, it, it's speed, and that's huge, and, and a guy who I don't want to say, I don't know, but he's probably going to play with Jack Eichel, and you know, in the three year of Eichel's venue, he has never had a winger that is as good as Jeff Skinner. And Jeff Skinner has never had a center who is as good as Jack Eichel. And that is excellent for the two of them, especially Skinner going to a contract year. Skinner is going to replace what they lost to Vander Kane in terms of five on five scoring. Uh, he's been one of the best, if not the best, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the best, even strength scorer. Uh, I think I looked at his numbers a while ago, like 74, 75% in the 70s percentage, his NHL goals has come at even strength, which is a huge, huge problem to the Sabres last two years at even strength scoring. So again, it's, it, it's, it's the speed, it's the skill, it's the scoring, it's the five and five improvements. So you really hit a lot there. And then in terms of, you know, beyond this year, you mentioned it, you know, waving that no movement clause to come here. Yeah. I think there's definitely a possibility that he resigns uh, as long as everything goes well, uh, stays healthy. Um, is a fit here. He likes it here. But yeah, I mean, he he waived his no movement clause to come to a team that was the worst team in the league for the last five years. So it has to say something. He's also from Toronto, and we know how close Buffalo is to Toronto. It's right across the border. So I think those two things working in the Sabres' favor is going to help here. You're probably looking at an Evander Kane contract. You know what he got in San Jose around seven years, seven and a half. If they want to re-sign him, uh, but he's only 26 years old, so it's not like you got a 30-year-old winger. You've got a primarily young winger winger in the middle of this course. You know, you put with the core players in the middle of his prime. So I hope it works out in ob face. I think he could be a great fit. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll kind of watch out how it goes. And worst case scenario, he leaves at the deadline. He could probably pick up a first round pick. Right, which then gives you four first-round picks heading into next off-season, which is a lot. So it kind of gives the flexibility too to recoup some what you lost. So I, I think that was a no-lose move there, whether he stays or goes for bottle on the Sabres.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It feels like a trade to me that really benefits both the team and the player. Like you said, if if the Sabres can't sign him long-term for whatever reason, and they're not in the thick of the playoff race at the deadline, they could probably flip him and get a first-round pick. And from his aspect you know, get an opportunity, like you said, he's never played with someone as good as Jack Eichel. So that could really help raise his profile and probably help him get even a better contract, you know, producing with there. And for whatever reason, like you said, he has a good year with with Eichel. And if it doesn't work out, he can go into the market and see what the best deal is out there for him. So I do agree completely. I think that was a great deal for both teams. Now, it wasn't all additions, of course, for this team. They did trade Ryan O'Reilly and a couple draft picks at the Blues. They got Vladimir Sobotka, Patrick Berglund, and uh, Tage Thompson. That deal was at least in part about the Sabres saving a little long term money, at least a little bit of it was anyway. How do you feel about that trade? If you're the GM right now, if you're Botterell, would you have made that trade? Uh
0: yes. I I think it's tough. (laughs) But being around you know, being around Ryan, he was he was he was a good person, I mean a good person to the media. But there is there's there was there was just something there. I really kept my finger on it, but I just feel like something in the room didn't mesh. I don't know if it was Ico. I don't know if it was a whole bunch of things combined. It just feels like something wasn't sitting there. And then again, his comments at the end of the season didn't fit well with a lot of people. I didn't have that big of an issue with them. He was, again, that's kind of how Ryan is. He's honest. The part that kind of bothered me is it took him, he didn't talk for a couple of days. So that was sitting in his head. So he kind of had time to plan what he was going to
1: say. And that's what came out. Do you and think he got know a bad deal? Test. Do you think he got a bad deal from fans in the media over his comments? I think so. And again, it's, just, it's, just,
0: it's being honest. So I say to people all the time, think about your job. If you go to your job every single day and it's negativity, 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 it's going to wear on you. I mean, these are people, too. They're hockey players, but they're people. So if you go every day and you lose the majority of the time and you always have to answer the same negative questions, why aren't you doing this, why aren't you doing that, it wears on you. And I get it. I completely understand you know, most guys are going to give you that typical answer of you're going to get from everybody. You know, they're going to get that, that that line. Maybe he just was kind of sick of it and was just that's just how it came out. You know, he's had that room issue-ish kind of with Maggie Shane back in Colorado. So this is kind of the second team now. You're kind of seeing something. You don't really know what it is, but there was something there. And again, the other part of it too is it, it just changes the dynamic. There's no question now. This, this hockey team is Jack Eichel's team. There's it's no question. It's not going to be O'Reilly or Eichels. It's Jack Eichel's team now. Realistically, I would have liked to maybe get a better prospect out of St. Louis as one of the better prospect pools in the league. But Tate Thompson, you know, isn't a bad hockey by any means. He's a big kid with a great shot. Or if you put him on Casey Middlestad's wing um, with two creative playmakers, and he just gets open and lets go of that shot, I mean, that, that's, he can be successful in that role he's not a burner but he's he's been every skater he's fine and his six five size is huge and the sabers don't have anybody in their forward lineup that is six five besides i guess berlin who's was six three six four but they don't have a guy with that size that can go in the corners and you know has the skill and has the ability to release the shot that he has so you know that's that's one part of it and then Berglund saboka you know Berglund, if he plays on a third line role will fit uh he can he's Good on face-offs. He can kind of help with the loss of O'Reilly there. He's good defensively. And he can score some goals, too. I mean, the Sabres haven't, haven't had a bottom six. I recently wrote about this. Kind of as good as they have now. And, again, it's nothing to write home about. But they've never had something as good as they have now. And, and Saboka has that potential where he can get you 10 to 15 goals, kind of depending what kind of season you get out of him. And then you get a first-round pick out of it, too. And, you know, now you have three of them. You know, there's a condition on it. If St. Lewis finishes in the bottom 10, I think then it becomes a first round pick next year, but the Blues aren't going to finish in the bottom 10 of the league. So it, it's a lot you can do. You can take that pick and flip it into something else, or you can, you know, pick a player if then you can kind of supplement in later in, you know, in the next few years on the entry level contract. And maybe then you can go run down a Taylor Sagan or a Matthew Shane or Panarin or somebody in the huge. Point hanging free agent class, it looks like it's going to be right now, so that kind of gives that flexibility to do that too.
1: Stopping pucks is obviously important. So, what are your thoughts on Carter Hutton signing a three year deal as a free agent to become the team's new top goaltender? Because Robin Leonard had some really good games, but he was also really inconsistent, and let, let's face it, he's awful in shootouts. So, Carter Hutton in the Sabres, what's your take on that?
0: I think it would be an improvement. You know, Johnson and Leonard had two of the worst save percentages in the league last year, which I think contributed to a lot of, not the only thing, but contributed to a lot of, kind of some of the problems over last year. Um, you know, Hutton not only is, I think he had improved, upgrade over what they had last year, it's also what he's going to do for Lena Fomart. Uh, he came over the reputation of being a great room guy, uh, did a lot for Jake Allen in St. Louis. And I, I think, it's not only going to be what he gives you on the ice. I think it's also going to be primarily as important what he gives you off the ice in terms of how he helps Linus Allmark, who's going to step into the NHL this year after three years in the AHL. Uh, so, I mean, Allmark, and then if you want Lucan in a couple years on the road, it's kind of your future and goal right now. And, yeah, well, Hutton, well, maybe this year he'll get the majority of the games, and it'll be close, but he might play more games than Allmark. You know, I think starting the following season in the 1920 season, it's going to be Allmark's show. But you know, I, I'm excited to see how Hutton does. I think it's again. I don't know how much of an improvement it's going to be. I think it's an improvement, but we'll kind of see. This is kind of the first time Homie to get that chance to be the main guy, where he got small runs in St. Louis and Nashville, but nothing to what he'll get this year. So it's,
1: it'll be interesting to lot, so how that turns out. All these moves were nice, and maybe they'll help this team start to climb up the standings. But of course, the real game changer was winning the lottery and landing Darlene. How much in your opinion does he mean to this franchise? And what are your realistic expectations for this kid as a rookie?
0: Well, in terms of the franchise, it's huge. I, I think the Savers were kind of in some trouble after last season. People are ready to walk away. People were done. People Absolutely. were put losing. And I think them getting the, the lucky bounces of the lottery balls this year saved them a not only a ton of money, but a ton of support within the fan base. You know, and from a franchise perspective, I don't. I don't think you can put out words how enormous it was. On the ice, same thing. I mean, defensively, it it's huge. I mean, there's there's only one or two players in this league that defensively have the same skill set that he has. And his skating, his defensive ability, his offensive ability. When you combine all of it, it's just it's impressive and it's why people call him, you know, I don't, I don't really like the phrase generational talent, but with dalin I think that applies here. I, I think McDavid is another one of those phrases that applies. and I think Darlene can be the same type of player. You know, he's a special talent and it, it's crazy to watch, you know, with the development camp when I've seen him skate, just how natural it comes to him. Like he makes it look so easy out there. And he's not just great offensively, he's good defensively. He can move the puck well. He can skate well. He can shoot well. He can use his vision well. It, it, it's like he has a full package. And if you have your head down coming across the middle, by the way, he's going to lay a nice hit on you. So it, it, it kind of – it's the full package. And, you know, as a rookie, I'm, I'm kind of in the spot where maybe you see 35 to 40 points. Could he get up around 50, 55? Sure. Depends how good the team is. But Ron has on 35, 40 points. And I'm just, <laughs> I can't wait to watch the kid play. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the prospects challenge next week is the opportunity to get to see this kid play um, in an actual game format on North American ice. There's one thing you'll have to deal with going from the bigger ice, to North American ice, that is one transition I'll have to make. I don't think we will have that big of an issue with it, but nonetheless, it's a transition. So yeah, I mean, people should be excited. People are excited. You know, I, I think he is a huge turnaround piece for this franchise and one of the reasons why you can have so much excitement for them going forward.
1: All right. Well, training camp starts in just two weeks. Give me one or two positional or roster spot battles that you're really looking forward to watch it unfold.
0: It's the bottom six. And then the last few spots on defense, you know, the bottom six, there's for the last few years it's been daily or Baptiste. And then are they going to make it this year? And that's not okay. Well, I guess here comes. so and so Scott Wilson, I don't know the traded for him last year, but he's the first on the top of my head. Um, that step in instead, you know. But this year, it's you know, there's with the addition of Saboka and Berglund, you know, it's kind of crazy to me that Gergensen and Larson are still here, so they're still in that mix.
1: Sure, uh, Scott Rod- Wilson
0: is back again.
1: Rodriguez, yeah.
0: Rodriguez, I, I'm a huge Rodriguez fan. You know, I, I think he doesn't get appreciated for what he does. Uh, he was he played at a 40 point pace last year, which is kind of crazy. You don't give him credit for that, but he played at a 40 point pace. Um, so Rodriguez, another one, and then you have. CJ Smith, who, you know, was a huge part of the Amherst success last year, won the MVP in the All-Star game, was an All-Star as a rookie. Danny O'Regan, who got in the Evander Kane trade. Victor Olsen is coming from overseas. Rasmus Aslan is coming from Sweden. Uh, you know, there's so many. Then there's Bailey and Batiste, who are still here. You know, they're part of it, too. So there's really a lot of competition for those last few spots in the bottom of the roster. And it's going to be kind of interesting to see who grabs that. And, you know, with Bailey and Batiste, interesting thing to remember here, too, with them two in particular, is if they don't make the team, they have to go through waivers to go back. Right. So it's possible they can get plucked off waivers now. I think they both would clear sitting here today. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that actually plays out that way. So that's what I'm excited to watch. And then also, you know, they have, like, 37 defensemen right now on their roster, too. So they got to it down to six somehow. And it'll be interesting to see how those last few spots kind of shake out, too.
1: One last question here and then I'm gonna let you go. All right, I've been a I've been very down on the Sabres over the past few years to the point where I often have found them unwatchable. I'm seriously, literally to that point, okay? And I'm sure I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out here listening or just a lot of Sabres fans parried or just really dejected with the way this team's been. Let's pretend that the has just hired you right now on this podcast to be the Sabres salesperson. For everyone out there, tell us why it's time to start getting excited about Buffalo Sabres hockey again?
0: Jack Eichel, Rasmus Darlene, Casey Middlestat And I'm done.
1: That's
0: why. <laughs> I guess that's all it's you need. man. It's that simple, though. It's, it's that simple. I mean, right now, Darlene and Middlestat are arguing, not arguably, they are, because Darlene hasn't played a game yet. They're the top two prospects in the NHL right now, and they're on one team. Um, the NHL.com just did a story yesterday or today, I think, where they uh, drafted all of the... I think it was like the, on the, the players who haven't played in the NHL yet, draftable prospects, and they're on the NHL. And Dalina Middlefat went 1-2. I mean, and, and they're on your team. And then you have Jack Eichel, who's really good at team, doesn't get, at least nationally, I think the respect he deserves for how good of a player he is. And then when you throw in Riss and Reinhardt and Skinner and Sherry and so on and so on, and you have you know guys in the prospect system, system that are coming too. Like Davidson and Asplin, you know, (laughs) C.J. Smith, another guy who I kind of high on. And then you're gonna have three first round picks next year. If You use all those to draft more people. So it's there is a lot in the future that is coming. Um, But yeah, I mean, if I need to sell people, sell tickets, I'm gonna call people and just say Jack Leichel, Braxton Thaleen, Casey Middlestat, and just see what they say.
1: Well, you just sold me to the point. point. (laughs) You just sold me to the point that I actually do have to ask you another question now. Based on what you just told me, how realistically in your mind, how far can this team climb up the standings? I mean, it can't go any lower. They're dead last. How far can that rise realistically be in one year? Is this a team that can make the playoffs? Is this a team that can sniff the playoffs, you know, be a legitimate contender for the playoffs? What do you think this year is the realistic ceiling for the Buffalo Sabers If they
0: stay healthy, I think they can, at the very least, be in the conversation for a playoff spot. Are they going to be a playoff team? If you held me down, I'm going to say no. You know, Vegas has the line at 79 and a half points as the over/under. I would say 80. I think they're about it. I think they're about an 80 to an 88 point team, maybe in that kind of range. That's kind of where I would peg them. The hard part is the top of the Atlantic Division is super top-heavy with Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston. So it'll be hard to kind of crack that, and Florida's not too shabby themselves. The rest of the division's pretty bad, you know, Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, so that's kind of a good thing that works in their favor. But, yeah, I, I think they can make a significant jump. I mean, we've seen Colorado and New Jersey last year go from the two worst teams in their conferences to being playoff teams. Is it impossible for the Sabres? No. Uh, sitting here today, would I say that's likely? Probably not. Um, but there's no reason, you know, they had 62 points last year. There's no reason they can't make a 20 to 25 point increase, and I, I think that's good enough to kind of get people talking. And then we'll see what happens in the summer of 2019, and then maybe you can start being a playoff team and start to take your steps into then getting eventually getting to a cup contender. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. All
1: right, man, good stuff. Chad D Diminissis, give him a follow on Twitter at CMD Diminissis. And of course, go check out diebytheblade.com. It's an excellently run site with lots of great info and insight. Thanks for your time, Chad. It was great having you on today. No problem, man. All right, that'll do it for this episode. One more time, big thank you to Matt Warren from Buffalo Rumblings. And Chad D. Dominicis from Die by the Blade for coming on the show today. Appreciate both their time. Love talking Bills and Sabres. Being able to do both in the same episode is definitely a good thing and something we'll be doing a lot more of, especially now that Sabres season is getting ready to start. Coming up next week, you know what? Next Tuesday, in fact, is our 50th episode. I'm not going to say any names, but let's put it this way I have a guest that's worthy of being a 50th episode guest milestone for me, milestone guest for this show. More on that later. Guys, if you haven't subscribed already, will you please go to iTunes? I say this every single show, go to iTunes, subscribe to this show. It's really quick. It's really easy. It's really free. Literally. You just use your phone or your laptop. You just go to the page and you click subscribe, and then bam, new episodes are automatically sent to your phone or to your computer. Download them, play them, delete them so they don't clog up all your data storage on your phone. So do that. If you don't have iTunes, like I always say, you can also catch us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are heard don't forget to follow me on Twitter for podcast updates and stuff like that. You can follow me at Pam tweets. Have a good safe weekend. And again, I'll see you on Tuesday for episode number 50. Be safe. Peace out.